Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Last time we talked to you was right after the floods that happened around Germany and Belgium. Um, How was the recovery going over there? Pretty slowly. When the flood first came, locals saw plenty of people running into the car park, but they didn't see many coming out again. This is Germany, one of the richest, most sophisticated countries in the world. And it has been brought to its knees by nature. This is totally anecdotal, but I talked to a colleague yesterday whose sister had been out in some areas in Belgium over the weekend, and, you know, the destruction was extreme. At least we're alive. There are so many dead. It's unbelievable. You can't begin to imagine what happened here. And there were tens of thousands of people left with homes that were so badly damaged that they couldn't immediately be moved back into, and many of those people are still out of their homes a month on and the reconstruction effort sounds like it's going really slowly for them. German Chancellor Angela Merkel and state leaders have signed off a recovery plan setting aside 30 billion euros to help rebuild damaged areas in Germany. There's a lot of people waiting on insurance payments um, so it's, it's, it's going to take a long time because this event was just so widespread across several river basins and, um, and so extreme. They were trapped in their rooms on the first floor when the water rose up to four meters in no time. At least 12 residents of this home for disabled people died before they could be moved to safety. We build cities and we cover them with concrete and then the water runs more quickly into rivers and doesn't get soaked up. And also there are a lot of investigations being uh, launched by governments here now into the response. This disaster was related to climate change, absolutely. That's what the scientists just said this week. But there are a lot of other factors too that went into the reason why it ended up to being so calamitous. I'm Carlos Prieto. This is Politico Energy. And today, Politico Europe's senior climate correspondent, Carl Matheson, on science's latest tool to help prepare for a changing climate. It's Thursday, August 26th. There was a study that was released on Tuesday by a group of scientists called the World Weather Attribution Service, and they've come to the conclusion that climate change did play a role in Uh, the intensity and likelihood of these floods. In a new report out Tuesday, the World Weather Attribution Group says both the severity and the increased likelihood of such events are inextricably linked to global warming. Um, So they looked at the rainfall and they said that this is a rainfall event that would usually happen in this part of Europe once every four centuries even with the amount of climate change that we have. Greenhouse gas emissions have already added 1.2 degrees Celsius to global atmospheric temperatures. With warmer air holding more moisture, Europe's summer storms now bring 3 to 19 percent more rain. So they looked at that and they said, look, we don't know exactly how much more likely it was made, but the the numbers they spat out were between 20% more likely and 900% more likely. So some pretty big ranges on um, the findings from the report this week. Right. So to be clear, it's not that climate change was the only factor here. The amount of rains and I guess weather patterns at large also played a role. But it's really interesting that you're able to tell me a number, you know, like I feel a year or two ago, if I'd asked you or Zach Coleman in in the US, uh, you know, how much can we... 
blame climate change for X event, the answer would have been something like, we know it's kind of responsible, but we just don't know how badly. One of the ways that climate change affects extreme events is to increase probabilities and then also increase the severity of those events when they And occur. the range that they provided is really wide, but it's still really remarkable to me that we're able to put a number on it. Yeah, our knowledge has really come on in this area. You're completely right. And for certain events like heat waves, we can say with much more specificity uh, what the the role of climate change was. With floods, it is more difficult, and that's partly because they happen over smaller regions. The way that things have changed and the reason why things have changed is kind of a fascinating story. Um, and it, like a lot of uh, startup stories, it began in a Starbucks uh, in San Francisco. There was a meeting of three scientists. Uh, there was a, a legendary climatologist called Miles Allen who pioneered this field, which is called attribution science, which is the connecting of extreme weather events to uh, climate change. In 2014, uh, Allen and a, a researcher who was working with him, Frederick Otto, met with a, an oceanographer called Heidi Cullen who was working for an NGO called Climate Central and Cullen basically wanted them to weaponize attribution science mm. and her challenge to them was to figure out a way for them to come out with these studies within the kind of timeline of a news cycle, preferably within days or weeks and they came up with a method to do that and so that's what we're seeing now is this uh, attribution science being done not only more precisely as they've got better at doing it, but they've developed ways of doing it much more rapidly. That's really interesting because I think, you know, as journalists, we, I think we're very acute of attention spans and how remarkably short they are and covering something like climate that is longer picture. That's always been kind of a challenge. Um, and it's really interesting that they try to find a scientific way to to tackle that, but I'm wondering if there's any risk in getting to these conclusions. Is there any sense that they're rushing them? Is there any fear that that's happening, that they're providing wrong results? Or, or how are they you know, tackling that question? I think that there's been some, uh, early on there was some resistance um, from the scientific community, but the way that they've got around it and is that they effectively use the peer review system, which is, you know, hundreds of years old, to assess their methods. So they, whenever they do an attribution study for an event, they use a particular set of methods that are relevant for that type of event. Once they've done one of those events, if another one comes up, their argument, which now many, many scientists agree with, is that they don't need to run through the entire peer review process again because the method is peer reviewed. Just trying to understand it myself better. So like, let me take it to another world. Like if it were, say, vaccines, like they are saying we don't need to demonstrate the effectiveness of every single shot because the process, you know, how we made these shots, every single one of them is already peer reviewed or FDA approved in the world of vaccines, like that already we know is legit. Is that kind of what they're trying to argue? I think that's a fair analogy. And the the FDA approval is an interesting thing to raise because what's happened in the last 
month as well as um, all of these extreme events is the IPCC, the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, which is the UN science body, mm-hmm. has actually come out with a massive new report and for the first time attribution science was given a really, really prominent space within that report mm. and completely accepted by the scientific community as a, a kind of legitimate and evolving um, field that was producing robust results. So that's your FDA approval right there. And it's been accepted uh, very, very broadly now. I, I guess my final question is, what kind of applications could governments or international agencies uh, find for for the kind of attribution science. Hundred percent. This is uh, really really key. So this type of attribution science is useful for a public awareness exercise. It's fantastic because it fits within news cycles. But what we really need to do now is learn how to live with climate change. And living with climate change means living with more extreme events. And they're really, really hard to plan for because we, if especially if we don't know how often they're going to occur, and that's what these type of attribution studies can tell us. And, you know, those are the types of things that local governments can plan for, and that's why this type of attribution science is going to be a really important tool in the toolkit of, of living in a, in a warmer world. For more news on energy and the environment, subscribe to our newsletter at politico.com slash morningenergy. If you want to support our show, the best way to do it is by leaving us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. And while you're there, check out some of our other shows like Politico Dispatch and Politico Playbook Daily Briefing. Some of the music in today's show was composed by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. I'm Carlos Prieto. Talk to you again tomorrow. Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Did you know that Chevron supports the ambitions of the Paris Agreement? In fact, they've even tied their executives' compensation to lowering the carbon emissions intensity of their operations. Because it's only human to help power a brighter future.